had a fun morning already. I don't know if you uh, feel crazy, but sometimes when we do all those things, but we really wanted to highlight our kids. Kids are an important part of what we're trying to do here at Mountain View. And, uh, and did you enjoy that? Just that small segment of our little VBS here this week? Good. Good. We are working through the book of Philippians, right? And we're in chapter 4. I told you I've got this week and next week to wrap this thing up. And I could go on for weeks. Just want you to know that. Um, before we go too far, I wanted to acknowledge uh, Cameron and Megan Lucas right there, here, right? And uh, Cameron and Megan have served as pastors of our church. They're now in Wisconsin, but they're here today visiting family and stuff and thought they'd pop in here. So if you see them, give them some love, right? And uh, high fives, power up high fives, all right? That's the deal. Power up high fives this week. So how many of you worry? Like how many of you like worry is a real thing in your life, right? And some of you are not raising your hand, but the person next to you I saw especially over in this section over here, right? So Paul, Paul had every reason to worry. He really did. He starts out this whole book talking about a couple of his friends, right? Euodia and Syntyche, and he's like, in the name of God, get along, is essentially what he's saying. And so he has friends in Philippi who are disagreeing. They're not getting along with one another. He couldn't be there to help them. He's got the same situation going on in the church of Colossae and the church of Galatia. He's got these issues in Rome, and, and, and here he is actually arrested under trial, and he could even face the death penalty for some of his crimes. And so Paul had every reason to worry, every reason to worry, but instead he didn't. And, and instead he wanted to take time to explain to us maybe what the secret is to have victory over worry. Now here's what I want you to know. This is not a high-in-the-sky, pie-in-the-sky kind of antidote for us to take away, and all of a sudden you're going to be healed of worry, right? Worry is a real thing. Anxiety is a real thing, and it's a stressful thing. But I think what Paul's doing is he just wants to pause, and he wants to say, listen, let me show you some things. Let me give you some remedies so that you can have victory over worry. And so we're going to look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. This is what it says. I entreat you... No, it says, sorry, verse 1, not verse 2. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat you, you Odia, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. There it is, right there. And I always just pause right there and I think, could you imagine this letter being sent to the church of Philippi? Somebody gets it. Everybody's gathering around so that they can hear Paul's great words of wisdom, right? And the person reading, because you know how it works, you read a little bit ahead as you're actually speaking it. And so they get there and they're like, are they here? You know, and then he says it, the reader says it, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. And you can almost hear the other part of the church going, yeah, about time somebody called them out. But then what Paul says here is, ah, yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Right? Sometimes when there's fights in the church, we like to just go, I'm staying out of that. I'm not getting involved in that one, right? But Paul actually says, ladies, get along. And then he says, church, help them get along. Do your part. I think that Paul was trying to tell us some things through this whole book. 
And some of the things he's trying to tell us is to rejoice, right? To rejoice in the Lord. But, but he also is telling us that there are some things that will steal our joy. Do you remember this? The very first week we talked about how Paul says, listen, our circumstances can steal our joy. In chapter 2 he says, other people can steal our joy, right? And in chapter 3 he says, things and stuff can steal our joy, right? In chapter 4, this is what I think he's telling us, worry can steal our joy. There are some joy stealers out there, and our circumstances can destroy and take away our our joy, and so can our stuff and things, and so can other people, but worry definitely can do that. This is why in verse 4 he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. And so what is worry? What is worry anyway? Well, worry is really where we get the word anxious. Anxious means to be pulled apart in different directions. Have you ever felt that way before? right? And so our, our hopes pull us in one direction while our fears pull us kind of in another direction. And it just happens. And ultimately, we feel like we're literally being pulled apart. How many of us love being pulled apart? I can, I can invite two guys up here and say, here, you pull my right arm and you pull my left arm. And at some point, I'm going to yell, mercy, stop. That doesn't feel very good. Well, this is what worry, this is what being anxious does to us. Our hopes are on one side, our fears are on another side, and we're kind of in this battle, and they're pulling us, and they're yanking us, and we're feeling like we're literally being pulled apart. So the word worry literally means to strangle, to strangle. If you've ever been worried, you know how it feels to nearly be strangled by something, right? Worry can cause definite physical consequences, headaches, neck pain, back pain, ulcers, right? Worry affects our thinking and our digestive system and even even our ability just to coordinate and be a part of things, right? And from a spiritual standpoint, worry really is rooted in just wrong thinking, wrong feeling about circumstances, about people and about our stuff and our things. It's having the wrong mindset. Worry, what Paul's getting at, can be the greatest thief of our joy. Worry can steal our joy. It can take away the joy that we should have. And I realize that we can tell ourselves all day long, over and over, do not worry, 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 do not worry. I just went to somebody's office this week who goes to church here, all over, do not worry, do not be anxious, do not. And I'm like, you worry a bit? I worry all the time, right? I'm like, all these signs around your office that tell you not to worry is actually probably causing you to worry, right? Like, like we have a person on our staff, he might be our worship pastor, <laughs> who worries about worrying. Do you know this? He like worries about being worried about worrying. Ask him to go on a plane ride with you. It'll be a joy, all right? He's not in here so I can talk about him, right? Josh gone? Yes. Right? He worries about worrying. And so we can tell ourselves all the time not to worry, not to worry, not to worry, not to worry, but we'll never catch the thief who tries to steal our joy when it comes to worry. Worry has to be an inside job, and it has to take more than just good intentions to fight it. And so the remedy, the remedy, what Paul's getting at, to have victory over worry is simply to have a secure mind. 
And in our passage, Paul tells us that we can have the peace of God and the peace of God will stand and guard our hearts. I love that concept. And if we're going to fight and we're going to conquer worry, we're going to overcome worry, we have to find that secure mind. We must begin to study some of the remedies that are right here in chapter 4. And so if you have your Bibles, look at verse 4 with me. Again, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Verse 5 says this. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. I think that's just an important phrase, right? It doesn't say let your foolishness be known to everyone. All right? Your reasonableness be known to everyone. Sometimes I think we let people see our foolishness, right? But let, but let, our, let our wisdom, let our reasonableness be known to everyone. He says, the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. And all of a sudden what can happen is you can write Paul off, right? You can write him off and say, well, what is Paul even thinking? He's not walking in my shoes. He's not living my life. Yeah, right. But again, don't forget, he's got people in the churches that he's planted. They're fighting. There's all sorts of issues going on. He's in in prison, right? He's in house arrest. He's got a guard chained to him 24-7. He's on trial. He could absolutely be put to death for his crimes. He has something to worry about. And what he's saying to us is, do not worry. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And it says, And the peace of God will surpass all understanding, and it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I love that verse. And so when a Christian doesn't have an answer to the big question that somebody's asking them, do you know what we usually say? I'll just pray about it. You know what you need to do? Pray about it right? How many of you have ever been told, well, just pray about it, and you wanted to slug the person who said it to you? Come on, thank you, thank you, yes, because it's irritating, isn't it? It's like I'm on this quest of this big answer, and people say, well, just pray about it. Now, prayer is an important piece, but what Paul's talking about when he talks about prayer and what we usually talk about when we're talking about prayer are two very different things, and so I want to see what Paul was saying, and he used some different words, right? Because what he wants us to do is he believes that authentic prayer, authentic prayer can be one of the remedies that helps us have victory over worry, right? Not just mindless prayer, but authentic, genuine prayer, and he uses some words here to describe to us what authentic prayer really is. And the first word that he uses is actually prayer. Right? Well, what is prayer? Well, prayer is making our personal request known to God, but it's making it with adoration, with worship, and with devotion to God. See, one of the things that we sometimes forget is that prayer, the word carries the idea of adoration. It carries the idea of worship. And it carries the idea of devotion to God. And whenever we find ourselves worrying, what Paul's saying is our first action should probably be get away, get alone with God, spend some quality time with God, and worship Him. Adore Him. Adoration is what's needed. Why? Because sometimes when we're worried and we're stressed and we're anxious about some things, sometimes what we need to do is pull away, get alone with God, and start to acknowledge how big God is. And did you know for a moment those things that are worrying us slip away? And this is one of the things that can happen during our prayer time. I love our prayer time. And one of the reasons I love it is for a moment, some people come forward up here and, and, you know, other people surround them and they're praying with them. And for a moment, it seems like everything just is okay. Just okay. Right? 
And so we must see the greatness. We must see the majesty of God. We must realize that God is big and that God can solve our problems. And too often what I do is I rush into the presence of God hurriedly and I tell God about all the needs that I have, right? And I've tried to learn. I've tried to learn that I need to slow down. And I approach God on His throne with a calmer, more reverent I express my appreciation, my devotion, my worship, and my adoration for God. And, and all of a sudden, it's like, oh, I know I have some things to talk to you about, but you're so big, and you're so great, and you're so awesome. For a moment, it seems to slip away. So prayer is the first part of having authentic prayer. The second part, right, is supplication. That's the word he uses, supplication. Well, what is Supplication. Well, it's a sincere sharing of my needs and my problems with God. God desires to hear from us in very heartfelt ways. He wants to hear from us in sincere ways. He wants us to be earnest in our asking. You remember how Jesus prayed? I mean, Jesus, he's God in the flesh, and he's in the garden of Gethsemane the night before he's going to be crucified on the cross. And this is what Hebrews 5, 7 says about it. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications. How? with loud cries and tears. Do you remember this? To him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. See, Jesus' closest friends, while he's in the garden praying, are doing what? They're sleeping. They're sleeping. While Jesus was literally sweating drops of blood, I think that the supplication is a matter of spiritual intensity. He, he wants us to, to feel it. He wants us to express it to him. He wants to hear it from us. Romans 15.30 says, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together, to strive together with me in your prayers. This is the whole idea in prayer. Let's strive together in our prayers. Colossians 4.12, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. When it comes to our supplications, there's this idea of struggle, of striving, of earnestly, spiritual intensity, of putting it all out there right? The third word that Paul uses when it comes to prayer is thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. It's simply just giving thanks to who? To God, right? God enjoys hearing us simply say to Him, thank you. Thank you. And do you have things that you can be thankful to God for? Tell Him, thank you. Remember when the ten lepers were healed, only one came back to simply say, thank you? Ephesians 5.20 says, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Giving thanks always and for everything. Colossians 3.15 says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be, what does it say? Be thankful. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with what? Thankfulness in your hearts to God. Thankfulness is an important thing. Authentic prayer, it depends on the right kind of mind. And Paul told us about peace and about rejoicing so many times in this short little letter to the church of Philippi, and the formula has been building really quick. Chapter 1, if you remember, he says, have the single mind. It's adoration in the midst of our circumstances. Well, it's hard to do if you've got the double mind. You can't praise God, right? Chapter 2 is about the submissive mind, and it's about supplication. It's about taking our request for others to God. Do you remember what he said? Do not consider your own interests, but consider the interests of, of others. And by the way, these are the others who are going to steal our 
joy. And God wants us to do what? Take them to Him as supplications, right? Chapter 3 was all about thanksgiving. It's the spiritual mind. And chapter 4 is this secure mind concept. It's so critical. And I love what verse 6 says. It's such a simple verse to remember. Do not be anxious about anything, but in prayer and with supplication and with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to who? To God. And it's not just the big things. It's not just the big things that we go to them about. It's the little things. How many of us really worry sometimes over the little things? The big things hit and you're like, "Eh, got it. But then these little things just kind of pile up and you're like, anybody? Let me see. A couple of you. Yeah, the blah thing. I can't even do it a third time. But anyway, listen, talking to God about everything concerning us And talking to God about everything concerning Him is the first step toward victory over worry. It just is. This is how we find peace in the midst of our difficulty, in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of all of that. It's simply pulling away and acknowledging first how big He is, how great He is, how majestic He is, how marvelous He is. And then it's taking our request to Him with a spiritual intensity and always giving thanks no matter what. See, Paul Paul uses this whole concept, right? And, and the peace of God will guard our hearts. You know what I think made him think of this? He's chained up to who? A guard, a Roman soldier, a Roman guard. And he's like, just like this Roman soldier is connected to me and guarding me, so God, the God of peace, the peace of God, will stand and guarding our hearts. That's what he's saying. How many of you want that? Yeah, how many of us long for that kind of thing? Yes. And and I love it because what happens is the peace of God will guide us and the peace of God will protect us and will protect our heart against those wrong feelings and those wrong thoughts that we have. I love Daniel. In the book of Daniel, Daniel deals with King Darius. And King Darius decided one day at the advisors, his advisors advised him, and he did it, to stop all prayers, right? And all prayers were supposed to be for him, the king. Remember this? And so Daniel's like, I just can't do that. And he goes back to his house and he opens his windows. And what does he do? He prays like he's always prayed all the time. And Daniel 6.10 actually tells us that he prayed He gave thanks before God and he made supplication. Now, did you hear that? Same words that Paul used. And so Daniel 6.10 says, Daniel prayed. He he made supplication with thanksgiving and with prayer. And the result was perfect peace in the middle of difficulty. Now, do you remember what happens? He gets busted and he gets thrown in the den with a bunch of lions. How's he feeling? Do you remember? He's good. He's good. He kind of tells the guys, hey, whatever happens to me, it's all for the glory of God, right? Throw me in. And so he's in the den of lions. He's good. But the text also tells us about King Darius. King Darius is at his palace, in his palace, in his palace bed, and he is tossing and turning. He's in constant turmoil. He's worried and he's anxious. Do you see the difference? Do you see the difference? See, the first remedy to worry, I think, is authentic prayer. Let's go on. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 says this, Finally, brothers, whatever is true and whatever is 
honorable and whatever is just and whatever is pure and whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. See, wrong thinking leads us to wrong feeling, and before long the heart and the mind get pulled apart, and we are worried and anxious and being strangled by our worry. And so the second remedy that I think that Paul's given us is this idea of powerful thinking. Powerful thinking. We have to realize that our thoughts, the thoughts that we have, they are real thoughts. And the thoughts that we have are very powerful thoughts. And sometimes, even though our thoughts can't be seen and they can't be weighed and they can't be measured, they are real and they are tangible and they can affect everything about us. This is why Paul wrote to the church of Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, listen to this, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Being ready, I think this is what it's talking about, being ready to punish every lie, every thought that's not right, every lie that shouldn't be there, we, we can't take it cap, captive. We do away with it. And so Paul spells out for us in detail the things that we should be thinking about as Christians, the things that we should be thinking about if we're going to have victory over worry. And the first thing is true, right? Why does he have to say, think about whatever is true? Well, the reality is there are a lot of lies around us, aren't there? I mean, here's the reality. Satan himself is a liar. Do you remember what John, uh, what John recorded Jesus saying in chapter 8, verse 44? He's talking to the Pharisees. This is what he says. You are the father of the devil. <laughs> you are of your father, the devil. That's a pretty bold statement. And he tells the Pharisees, and your will is to do your father's desires. And your father was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and he is the father of lies. Satan is a liar. And so here's Paul saying, you have got to think about the truth. You have to be intentional about thinking about the truth. Why? Because Satan wants to corrupt our minds with lies. He wants us to believe lies about ourselves and he wants us to believe lies about other people because if we can believe those lies, honestly... We become useless. We have to fight against that. 2 Corinthians 11.3 says, But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve, by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. See, whenever we believe a lie, Satan begins to have leverage. The enemy has leverage. He can, he can wiggle himself in there and he can begin distorting all sorts of things. When we believe lies about ourselves or about other people, it really makes it difficult to live that full life with joy. So he tells us, think about what is true. He also tells us, think about what is honorable, what is just. Now see, honorable is this whole idea of of doing the respectful thing, the right thing, right? There are many things that are not respectful, and so we shouldn't respectable and we shouldn't do those things. Too often, though, what the Christian does, the Christian says, I want to be honorable, so I'm going to build a big bubble around myself so I don't have to talk to anybody, touch anybody, and see anybody, and I can just live my own life as if my head's down in the sand, right? Well, that's the honorable part. 
I suppose you could do that. But it's interesting that Paul puts honorable and just in the same sentence like he did. Because to be just means that you have to be aware. Because the only way you can become a just person is if we look around ourselves and determine what is unjust and do something honorable about the injustice that we see. And if we're bubbled up and we're in a cave and our head's down in the sand, how in the world can we actually do the just part? So think about the things that are honorable. Think about the things that are just. He says, think about the things that are pure, lovely, and commendable, meaning think about the things that are whole and beautiful and worth talking about. What are the things that are worth talking about that Jesus' follower ought to focus on high and noble thoughts? And then he says, think about whatever is excellent and worthy of praise. If something is worth something, then it is something of value. And if something is worth praising, then it is treasured and it is shared, right? And so no Christian can afford to waste thinking on thoughts that tear themselves down or that tear down other people. We've got to be thinking about the other things that actually build each other up and build ourselves up. And so Paul tells us, he says, here's the deal. Two of the remedies to fight worry is authentic prayer and powerful thinking. There's a third one. Look at verse 9 says this, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Here's what Paul's saying. We cannot separate the outward action from the inward attitude. It's not possible. In other words, we do what we are. We speak from what's here. Our actions are determined on what we believe and what we feel here. And that's what Paul's saying. And so there's this concept that's really important for the Christian, and it's called righteous living. It just is. And I'm not trying to be a rule, you know, follower, legalist, pharisaical. I'm just saying there's something here that's of truth. And this is what Paul's saying. Listen, listen. The wisdom from above is first pure, and the wisdom above is peaceable, and the wisdom above is gentle and open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, and impartial and sincere. And that's what happens when we believe it here and we feel it here. There's something that happens with our hands. And that's what Philippians 4.9 is saying. What you have learned and received and what you have heard and what you have seen in me, practice these things so that the peace of God will be with you. That's what it's saying. Paul balances these four activities. Learned, received, heard, and seen. See, it's one thing to learn the truth and it's another thing to receive the truth. This is about receiving the truth and making a part of our inner selves and who we are. 1 Thessalonians says this, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the Word of men, but what what it really was, the Word of God, which is at work in you in the believers. The work. James 1.22 says, Be doers of the Word, not hearers, only deceiving yourself. See, in Paul's ministry, he not only taught, but he also lived what he taught. And this is the challenge for all of us. If we believe the truth, then we live the truth. If we believe it, we do it. And what does it say? The peace of God will come upon us. So here's the reality. There's a test. You want to know the test? The test has to do with the peace of God, right? 
whether we have it or whether we don't. Now, granted, this whole series is called Unfinished, right? Let him who began the good work in you bring it to completion. Chapter 2 talks about working our salvation out with what? Fear and with trembling because we're, none of us are done. God's still working on us, but as we hear and as we learn, as we do and we receive all of these things, right? The real truth is this. If we are walking with God, then the peace of God and the God of peace will exercise its influence over our hearts and over our lives. But whenever we are not walking with God, we seem to lose that peace, and that's the test. That's the indicator. Something's not right. Something's not whole in me. Something's, something's not complete. This is what I'm saying. You want to test yourself? Ask yourself about the peace of God. The peace of God. Because God's peace will call me out. And God's peace will call you out. And so I think these are three simple remedies that Paul's given us. Listen, here they are, right? Authentic prayer. Authentic prayer, powerful thinking, righteous living. These are three remedies that can help us fight worry. Here's what I want to do as I, as I wrap this up. James chapter 4 is considered the war chapter of the Bible, right? Philippians chapter 4 is considered the peace chapter of the Bible. And I, and I find it interesting that you could really compare these two things, right? And so James 4.1 says this, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? That's a little different tone than I think uh, Paul takes with Euodia and Syntyche, where he says, in the name of Jesus, figure it out, work it out, right? No, James just kind of says, you know what the problem is? You're the problem. You're the problem. You have fights and quarrels and you're the issue, right? And so this is what I find interesting. You can look at prayer and you can look at thinking and you can look at living and they compare the two and one produces peace and the other one produces war in ourselves. Look at this, prayer. Authentic prayer versus ungenuine prayer. James 4.3 says this, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Now, now what is it that Paul said? Don't be anxious about anything, but in prayer and petition, go before God with thanksgiving, with supplication, right? Do you hear the difference? One will produce peace. The other one's going to produce war. It just is. But it's not just prayer. It's also our thinking. We can have powerful thinking versus wrong thinking. Look at what James 4.8 says. Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your heart, you double-minded. I mean, I kind of like reading Paul a little bit better, don't you? I mean, Paul's a little bit more warm and fuzzy where he's saying, hey, what you've seen and what you've heard and what you've received, you should put into practice. And the way you live is an important thing as a Christian. I kind of like Paul's encouragement better. But do you see it? Our thinking will either produce war in us or it will produce peace. And if we think the way that Paul told us to think, think about the things that are true and honorable and and just and lovely and beautiful, all all of these things, then we can have peace. Paul also compares the life, right? Living, righteous versus worldly. Look at James 4.4. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God and therefore whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God? You want war? Love the world. 
You want peace? Live as if our citizenship is where? In heaven. That's what he talked about last week. And so, so I find it fascinating that you can compare James 4 and, and Philippians 4, and one is all about the war that can happen within us, which is only going to compound the worry and the anxiety and the stress and all the other things that's going to pull us apart and strangle us. And then you have Philippians 4, which gives us the remedy that, that when we have authentic prayer in our life and we have powerful thinking where we're taking those thoughts, those lies captive, and we're replacing them with truth, And when we strive for righteous living, we can find the peace of God, which will guard our hearts and our minds. God, thanks for today. Help us. Help us live in such a way that we can find that peace, experience that peace that will guard us and protect us 24-7. It'll protect our minds from the lies. It'll protect our hearts from the wrong feelings. And God, I know worry is a very real thing for a lot of people. And it produces anxiety, crippling anxiety, anxiety that is hard. And I believe today, God, that there are people here who are struggling with those things. And what I want them to hear is not that they just need to pray about it. Not that we just pray more or we do more, but God, that we would just simply go on a journey where we would truly worship you and celebrate you and acknowledge how great you are. That we would go on a journey and we'd begin replacing those lies that we believe about ourselves and the lies that we believe about other people and we would replace those with truth. God, I pray that you would give us strength and power to live the way that you want us to live as if our citizenship is not here, but our citizenship is in heaven and that our one task is to make this place as much like heaven as we possibly can. So God, with that, we cast all our anxiety on you. And we ask that you would guard our hearts and that we would experience your peace in our lives. In Jesus' name.